The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa, your host, and I'm excited to welcome Rick Kelly, who is the Chief Product Officer of FuelCycle. Welcome, Rick. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Seema. Glad that you're here. So, Rick, you've been in market research, insights, industry for a while. Can you just give people a little bit of background as to how you got to this point in your career? Yeah. When you say a while, it's a nice way of saying that I'm bald and I have great. I appreciate it, Seema. <laughs> Look, I started uh, my career in market research completely by accident, like most people. I was actually uh, coming out of grad school during the recession, like uh, around 2009, 2010. Yep. And I was going to go work for another company and it went under. And so I, <laughs> I didn't have a job. Wow. And then uh, two weeks before graduation, I bumped into a professor who referred me into one of the, the many sample companies that exist. Okay. So I started working market research pretty much two weeks after that. And that's never really, left. Never left. Uh, I actually did leave for a little while. Oh, did you? Yeah. So I, I worked in market research for a little while, did um, learned a lot. Then mm-hmm. uh, I actually taught college political science for a year. Wow. Then I took time and I went to India and worked at a tech startup that was based in San Francisco. It was a health tech thing. Okay. Ended up having to move back in a hurry to the U.S. because of uh, my, I had a baby with a rare just bleeding disorder. Yep. And uh, emailed a former colleague. And that's how I ended up at Fuel Cycle. It's like literally an, an email on an airplane saying, hey, what are you up to? I'm coming back to the U.S. And uh, a little bit later, I was working at Fuel Cycle. That's amazing. A couple of questions. What did you study in grad school? So my first master's degree, I did political science. Okay. And then I did an MBA uh, at the uh, University of Carolina after that. That's impressive. You did two graduate programs? <laughs> I don't know if it's <laughs> impressive or stupid enough to make money. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I did do two. It feels like I should get a special award after that. But yeah. it, it looked at a lot of interests and I like learning. So That's great. And I'm assuming you're... Your baby's not a baby and doing okay. Oh, yeah. He's much now and thriving and good. A lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Of course. So, well, we've been in a couple of different conferences this year, one of which was IAEX, and I loved your presentation at IAEX. Just give a little bit of background as to the genesis around talking about, I think the title was the state of communities. That's right. So, first of all, Seema, before I get going there, I can tell you the first that it was actually, I think it was 2011. Yeah, And uh, we were at a conference and we're doing this like presentation and we're both like on a panel or something together. And I thought you were so cool. And I was like this little like kid who (laughs) was trying to learn everything I could from you. So I remember you, you even if I wasn't memorable in 2011. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just saying, no, I I take that back. Just during the course of this year, we've seen each other a lot. (laughs) I appreciate that though. Yeah, yeah. So State of Communities, this is a presentation we gave at IAEX in April of this year. 
So FuelCycle is known for our research communities. And so we have like a really an obvious interest in understanding how they're being used in different use cases and what leads to adoption of communities. And so every year we run this study amongst the research practitioners looking to better understand, you know, how they're utilizing their communities. And that, of course, in turn, like develops like the content we develop, but also informs like our product development, where we invest in our platform and the uh, ideation realm, like where and why communities are going to be super useful. Yeah. And let me back you up here because I always make the assumption that people know what communities are, but let's break it down as to specifically how we're defining communities for the purpose of this talk. Sure. Well, in our case, and you're right, the community has a lot of different connotations within the research space. So mostly our customers end up being like brands. So, you know, big enterprises, Mm -hmm. licensing communities for the long term. Right. So in many cases, it's three year plus deals that we're putting together to help them really stay engaged with key audiences. So when we talk about fuel cycle, we actually take it up one level beyond communities. We call fuel cycle the market research cloud. And we mean that really specifically because what we enable our customers to do is to enable they have constant connection to their key audiences. So that's their customers, their prospects and their product users. And then we help accelerate decision making with a suite of our own solutions, but also integrated partner platforms. Okay. So this cloud, you think about like the Salesforce sales cloud, where there's some core functionality, core functionality that exists in the Salesforce mm-hmm. sales cloud, but then you also extend Salesforce with integrations with other products and partners and things like that. We do the same thing on FuelCycle, where we have a platform, but then a really robust set of APIs that allows us to integrate with partners like a Qualtrics, Medallia, Spot.me, user testing, you know, there's about 40 plus different that are integrated into our platform using our APIs today. That's exciting. And do you find that clients toggle between all those tools that you offer in the platform? Yeah. 100% of our customers use multiple integrations. And ultimately like the, the, one of the things, the origination of this was we knew that we would never be able to deliver all the functionality that our customers needed. And in order to, you know, to be satisfied as researchers. And so that ultimately is the decision was made to treat FuelCycle as a developer platform and go API first and partner, like partner extensively so that we can deliver a broad array of functionality, you know, to researchers with, you know, high demands. Obviously the state of the world has changed the last three years and making sure you have a pulse on your ear customers, your future customers, your competitors' customers is vital because the landscape's changing so quickly. Understand that use case and get it. But that's sometimes easier said than done, right? It's like, I remember like there's people who are like, oh, we need a panel because we have so many questions. And then all of a sudden, like two weeks later, they don't know what questions to ask because they're kind of like, yeah. so give us an idea of how often are you seeing clients really tap into the community and you know, is it for the entire organization or are you kind of, you know, set into one function, if you will? Yeah. So maybe to, to back that up, ultimately, like one of the things that we believe and an advocate for is that the world needs more research and it yes. needs more science, right? So ultimately, like there's a lot of bad business decisions that are made and mm-hmm. usually bad business decisions are made because they haven't been validated by your customers or, you know, prospective customers or anything like that. And so if we can make insights more accessible to decision makers, then there's going to be businesses will run much more efficiently and we're going to reduce the amount of economic deadweight loss that exists in the world. Right. That feels like a good thing, right? Yes. And so when it comes to fuel cycle, 
what we want to do is to make sure that the insights practitioners, like they're able to access and use fuel cycle, but also their stakeholders are getting utility out of it. And so we see more and more, I would say this wasn't true six, seven years ago, but it's becoming more and more true today, is that you have a multitude of use cases that are being executed within our platform. And so in one moment, there can be like early stage product ideation, maybe like right. a focus group or a discussion board or something like that. But then you also have product and engineering teams that are utilizing fuel cycle to get tons of feedback from users on a new beta for like an app or something like that. And then again, using APIs that we've developed to push that data back into engineering workflows. So we have customers today who integrate fuel cycle with their JIRA instance, for example, and they're sending user feedback directly into JIRA. Oh, that's then, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then like, the whole concept, right, is that if you look to market research's cousin, customer experience, right, yes. is that you have lots of closed loop reporting in customer experience, meaning right. there's an action and then something happens somewhere else. And then like that, essentially a customer gets informed that there's an action being done. Same thing is happening with market research. In many cases, we're instigating action somewhere else on another enterprise system because we're pushing data into the enterprise mm -hmm. or making it more accessible to a decision maker. And ultimately, that's really interesting to us because, again, the world needs more research, which means that market research to really be effective has to scale and beyond the insights department alone. Right. And when you talk about use cases, yeah, there's it's growing pretty dramatically mm -hmm. uh, outside just like the core research persona. The research industry has been trying to break through the traditional consumer insights department and kind of provide insights to other departments over the course of the last 10, 15 years, right? To make yeah. sure that there's ROI on the spend and that there's not, it's not kind of siloed off and saying, you know, here's dead weight reports yeah. that people will never get access to. Exactly. And, you know, just to hand it to insights departments is I, I think the world of, you know, everybody yes. that's a research practitioner, you know, it's a really challenging job and there's mm -hmm. so much man put, you know, put on these insights practitioners that ultimately the, the, the way to deliver value to the organization is to kind of unchain mm -hmm. some insights practices from that team alone, let them handle the complicated you know, highly sensitive stuff, but also push more self-serve capabilities out to stakeholders as well. I agree with you. I mean, the consumer insights professionals are amazing. They have a lot on their plate. And I agree. It's like empowering users to kind of at least inform quick, short-term decision-making to your point, getting the customer's feedback on a development uh, issue. There's no need to have a, a person in the middle there. Just get it right into the system and let people take action on it. Yep. And the way that like, I frame this up is like, the, I think the phrase most commonly used is fit for purpose, right? Yes. Is that, you know, like if you're running like an epidemiological study where you want to understand like the impact of, you know, a certain intervention on the health of a population, right. you want to be really, 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 really confident. Yep in that result. And like, so you should be really intense about it. But if you're just trying to say, Hey, this color blue or that color yes. blue difference, and you can run it at 80% confidence, yeah. then, you know, like let somebody else do that. So I it's totally all about, agree. Yeah. It's all about sensitivity to the business outcome. Yeah. And where do you think, like, do you find that communities are growing in popularity as a tool or a platform for 
where I am. I mean, of course, I think you're going to probably just say yes anyway, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm obligated to say yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's booming. <laughs> wonderful all the time. <laughs> well, okay. Let me ask the reverse. What are some of the challenges as it relates to communities that you yeah. see? Oh, this is an even better question because ultimately if you are looking for a community for like a single purpose, meaning yes. you want to run surveys, you just want to do like one thing, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, it's probably over investing in a community yeah. like by doing that. And so that's, you know, the candid truth. And the other thing is, you know, communities, um, they need to be exercised, right? Yes. So the analogy, the analogy I always use is that, and I grew up in a farm in central California. So excuse any farm analogies that come out. <laughs> the communities are like horses. They just like to be exercised, which right. means have you have to have a regular cadence of information. You have to close feedback loop. You have to tell people how their information is being actioned on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those are kind of key things that it's not just a tool that you plug in and get going. It's right. a, a program, right? And when you have a program that's well-run and well-maintained, you're going to get enormous value out of it. If it's something that you're just kind of hoping to talk to your audience every few months, it doesn't work. Are you guys the community manager or does a client have a community manager within their organization? Yeah, or? there's been a both. Ultimately, okay. we're, a, we're a technology company. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we have a, like a small team that will support some of our clients, but in many cases, they're doing a lot on their own or we have partners that do that as well. Got it. I think in your talk at IAX, you also were talking about some changes that you anticipate in the future as it relates to market research and trends that you might be seeing now that you think are going to continue to grow over time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think ultimately what you're referencing is that uh, this is the, the survey that we ran on like the mm-hmm. state of communities. And so we actually asked uh, research practitioners how they anticipate or what expected changes they expected to see over the next 12 months. So this would be during the course of 2022. Okay. Um, so about a quarter of them said that they're expecting the convergence of market research, uh, customer experience and user experience research to really impact the way that they're doing their jobs. Right. Okay. Another quarter, and these aren't mutually exclusive, sure. is that expected that adoption of machine learning is going to have a major impact on the roles. Yep. So using machine learning for reporting and, and things like that. And then about, I think, 22% said that they expect DIY and automation to have a major impact as well. Not surprising, right? I mean, I think of, especially for the machine learning, there's so much data, right? And speed, the demand to execute and reduce execution risk is really high. And so you need to be able to process and figure out those insights pretty quickly. Yeah. And and ultimately, like, I think the ability to integrate data from multiple studies is really, uh, it's really important. It's an area where communities are actually really interesting is hopefully I can make this really clear without waving my hands around. Usually <laughs> my hands are waving when I give this analogy. But most surveys are essentially a, like a siloed data, meaning yeah. you have a survey and there's no linkage between survey A and survey B. Right. And so you might be able to do like some cohort analysis or look at, you know, demographic, you know, changes among demographics. But communities are interesting because essentially the the mode of analysis, so the thing that ties everything together can be a respondent. Right. So you have these really robust profiles and really robust uh, ways to tie people together. Mm-hmm. Want to look at how people, individuals change their responses to like survey questions over time. You have the ability to do that inside a community because we have like that respondent ID that follows somebody through everything they do and you can tie it all together really neatly. 
Right. And I think that's, a, that's a fun and underrated part of, of communities. How much churn typically is in a community, like month to month? Yeah. So my economist answer is it, it depends. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, ultimately, the, the most important thing for communities is that uh, like you're steadily feeding and growing them. Right. And so one of the things that we see is that, uh, you know, customers who tie communities into their business systems or mm-hmm. processes are extraordinarily successful. And so what I mean by that is that we have like customers who at the bottom of the receipt, there's a QR code that goes mm-hmm. to CX survey that then redirects to a fuel cycle community. And they've recruited hundreds of thousands of people over the past few years. Got it. Got things like that. And then you also have, you know, communities where as a customer is going through the new, like a new customer onboarding, or what we're doing is we're automating their account creation inside a customer community because we're tied into those enterprise systems. And so you can actually provision a, a community account for a user using like their e-commerce credentials or something like that. And Interesting. It's about feeding it constantly. And so when you have ways that automate processes, you know, it's yeah. beyond research automation. And when you automate the process and you're tying data together across systems, man, these communities can be really, really robust. Yeah. Ultimately, like we tend to advocate for larger communities because they become so much more flexible. Mm-hmm. To be able to talk to, you know, left-handed mustachioed person in San Antonio, you might have the opportunity to do that. Right. But, you know, if you artificially constrain the size of community, it ultimately, you know, I'm not sure I understand the point of why you would want to constrain right. it. Right. Well, I, actually, you raise a really good point. Or you share a really good point that I didn't realize how embedded you know, you could be in when you're trying to drive traffic and activate an account yeah. in the client's actual business process, like yeah. an e-commerce site or, you know, a loyalty program or, or whatnot. So I would imagine that drives a ton of traffic yeah, into the community. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, ultimately this is where like insights has to be part of the DNA of yeah. a company, right? Yep. And, and for a company that wants to buy into you know, being customer centric and customer led mm-hmm. teams are getting a seat at the table and they're able to influence it roadmaps. Are they able to influence integrations? And that really matters. There's this whole thing. I think um, Boston consulting group and, and Camiar did this whole thing that must've been four or five years ago now, where it's about effective insights departments. It's a yes. great, that's the, I think the first blog post on it's called like the introverted corporation, but there's stages of maturity for uh, insights departments, mm-hmm. these insights departments that want to be forward li- looking and want to actively solicit feedback and actively embed insights across every decision are doing a good job at putting fuel cycle or, or other systems, frankly, sure. into the workflows. Yes. And that that's what's most effective. Yeah. I also see, uh, you know, not just large enterprises fuel, mm-hmm. using data to fuel decisions. I mean, because of direct-to-consumer brands, they have access to a lot of customers, client feedback and detail, whatever. But it feels like more and more organizations are using insights to make decisions, whereas because it's more accessible. I think that's the thing, right? Is that the accessibility of insights is really important to help more happen. Yes. Actually, I mean, this, if you don't mind me going a little segue Go here, for it. Yeah. This reminds me of a point I think I made in the presentation. Hopefully it's in this presentation. If it's not, my apologies. (laughs) One of the things that I think a lot about is automation and how do we automate processes. And this brings me to an analogy around shipping containers and global shipping. Oh, that's right. Yes. So what you see, and there's this really great 
chart that I think uh, it came from The Economist or something like this, is that you see that growth in global trade explodes, like really takes off starting around like the 1960s. And like essentially global trade goes vertical in terms of overall volume. Now, what's interesting is why that happened. And because ultimately shipping technology didn't really change that much. Like mm-hmm. boats weren't the same. You still had boats powered by coal. Like that's not what changed. There's still water, right? <laughs> water, like all those things. Yes. Ultimately, in the 1950s and early 1960s is you have the introduction of the shipping container, which standardizes packets of information or packets of goods, right? right. And enables ports to scale them. Like yes. it becomes very, very efficient. So as where beforehand you're packing a bunch of things randomly and kind of haphazardly onto a ship. Now you have ways to standardize, you know, packaging goods. And there's some interesting data is that I'm going to get the stat wrong, but just it's right in spirit is something like 60% of global or trade between countries can be attributed to the adoption of common shipping infrastructure. So wow. containers. It, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, again, maybe it's 55%, maybe right, it's right, right. But it's in that. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. But it's a shipping container. Now mm-hmm. for me, like in, and for many other people, I think is that when I think about research, the world needs more research. That's just mm-hmm. like plain and simple as we need better decisions and we need more decisions informed by uh, consumer feedback. Yes. Ultimately that standardization is like shipping containers, right? It, you have to standardize in order to get the volume that we need and to get the accuracy that we need. So I think that's where, you know, like making it accessible is super important because we have to do more. Yeah. I love that. And I remember that slide from the presentation. It was, it was a great analogy to kind of figure out what created the acceleration of exports and imports between countries. The other thing I I think about though, it's standardization, you know, in terms of, let's say what you guys offer and the methodologies, but it's also standardization within an organization, right? Yeah. What are the key metrics that we look at? What, how do we, you know, what are our internal standards? And I see like, it's basically storming, norming, what is it? Storming, uh, forming, and then creating norms and something <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah. I do see that in organizations where you kind of know where an organization is, if they're still trying to figure out wait, I have all this new data. What's our base foundation? How do we view this collectively together? And how do we, instead of having the data be politicized sometimes, how do we actually leverage this in a way that we all agree? Yeah. I mean, the most effective organizations I see are take a lot of measures to make data use acceptable. Yes. Right. And, you know, it's so key. And you're absolutely right. There, it is such a hodgepodge of practices out there. Yes. Again, that, that whole maturity curve for the maturity scale that uh, BCG put together is a great example, right? You want insights to be forward-looking. You want yes. to be involved in as many decisions as possible because you're going to ultimately make better decisions when you do that. Right, right. Here's a, a little bit off the beat question. I'm curious what you think is a motivator for a consumer to participate in a community. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> I will share that I personally hate taking surveys. Okay. I, yeah. So <laughs> but I think there's really, actually there's some, um, there's actual research on this. I think it stands out pretty well and kind of replicates and mirrors what I see. So ultimately when it comes to a research community, rather than just like a research panel, you have kind of three kind of core anchors of motivation. Okay. One can be utilitarian. So we're just talking like financial incentives, you know, yep. none of that. It makes a ton of sense. 
And I think that financial incentives go can be underrated sometimes mm-hmm. because they, you know, like they, they draw people in and, yeah. you know, like, uh, and so I, that's an important component. The other two are going to be, number one is going to be community oriented. So, you know, there are bajillions of, I think bajillions is the technical term yeah. of online communities that have like niche, like interests and social connections. Right. Right. And that's one of the beautiful things about the internet is you can find social connections anywhere. Yes. Um, even if it's just with the username. Right. Mm-hmm. And so communities really affect communities. You see like the social interaction happen between community members and people, you know, kind of, they have like interests, they share values or they mm-hmm. share ideas or common interests. And that ends up being really interesting. So like in a media community, you know, I think we actually, there's a webinar that just, we just put out from, uh, from fandom where fandom talks about like the, like organic interaction between their community members around like content, but also user experience of fandom, like all those things where they just have a common interest in this like specific media property. Right. A ton of sense. Yeah. You also have, you know, things like that, where people build communities within, you know, financial services communities or financial services, uh, you know, research communities as people interacting and giving each other recommendations mm-hmm. and sharing where they learn about other resources. And because like, again, all the automations around notifications and all those things that we've been in, you're able to build those organic conversations. Right. And then the third motivation is really going to be about brand impact. And okay. so a lot of the communities that we operate are branded, right? So mm-hmm. you're signing up for health insurance community X, it's branded, you know, health insurance community, right. never, right? Yeah. And having an impact on an organization is can be a significant motivator. Mm-hmm. And so people seeing the impact on product development, on UX, on marketing ends up being something that a lot of people care about. And in many cases, like there's, you know, it's heterogeneous mo- motivations where people have all three motivations yes. that within them. But then, you know, really it's a, the other thing that we always encourage our partners and customers to do is to ask their community members, like right. them what you want to see out of this. Yeah. And, you know, that means that communities evolve over time and the value proposition that's offered to participants is uh, something that needs to be revisited on a regular basis. I agree with you. And the third one that you talked about, which was impact, I'm always amazed when I see responses to that because they truly do believe, and they are making an impact or a difference in terms of a product or service or good and their voice is heard, which is refreshing. And I actually did some research also the other, and this might fall into one of the three buckets is learning about new things. Because if you're doing a product test or if you're doing an idea concept screening, you're getting an idea of what the company might be thinking about. And so they're learning about that, which is quite interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, something I'll add too is like, one of the important parts of us saying, calling ourselves like a market research cloud and, yeah. and communities is one of the products is that communities are phenomenal, but we're not absolute community maximalists. Meaning there's some things that you shouldn't do in a community right. research related. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like some things you shouldn't do. Yes. And, you know, and for instance, you know, like the, we asked about like brand health tracking in a community. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yes. Oh, <never. laughs> Some things that shouldn't be done there. Right. And, and that's why we also, like we have, you know, uh, panel partners that we work mm-hmm. with that enable you to do the research with both of your customer audiences in a community, but also your prospect right. prospects in a panel. Yeah. Well, that's the responsible thing to do, Rick, right? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how responsible I am other than when it comes to... <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Rick. I really enjoyed our conversation. And, you know, I'm going to see you at another conference this year for sure. I know that already. I think so. That'll be uh, awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.